Hello and welcome back to the True North Canadian Football Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Leach. You can find me on Twitter at Jimmy Leach CFL. I'm Taylor Curry, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Taylor Curry SK. And I'm Carter Kennington. You can follow me on Instagram at Carter Kennington and on Twitter at CJK underscore Carter. Awesome. And now it's time to plug our socials. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search True North CF Pod and you'll find us. And you can listen to the show on YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcast. So let's jump into it here with a recap of last week's games before we jump into week three. So, oh, this is a. I, I'm so pissed about this. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mellowed out since the day this happened, but the day this happened, there were, oh, you were there were a lot of there are a lot of uh, a lot of words I cannot repeat on the show that were said <laughs> out loud. But uh, and we'll get into why. But BC defeated Calgary fifteen to nine. So our first discussion question is: Will BC be fined this time? Because they did this again. They did it last week. By the way, Mike Riley don't care. And yeah, that's what he said. He just he said he doesn't care. You know, people think they're being deceptive. It's like, okay, fine. That's not his place to eat, care about that, you know? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. 100% on the organization and the coach who are supposed to be putting out accurate information in the last two weeks. They just literally haven't. So discuss yeah well i mean yeah they just they haven't been doing it the first week we thought riley was starting and me and you we were at the game and we saw nathan rourke walk out and we were pretty stunned at that and then yeah this week five minutes before the game starts they announced mike riley's playing instead of rourke and yeah mike riley said he doesn't care but uh i'm sure league profits and the new betting that we've just put in place does care and it makes our league look uh hogwashy and like even Derek. Dave Naylor was in on it saying like the the league needs to do something about this. So I sure as hell hope they get fined this week because it's two weeks in a row and it's just making the whole league look like idiots. Um, I think they're going to get fined and I'm really happy that you put the Michael Riley thing in there because I think that's actually going to be the tip of the iceberg for it. I think, yeah, if, good point. I think if they were to do this behind closed doors, like the CFL sends somebody who's like a higher up in BC an email being like, yo, you got to sort this and kind of just keep it on the down low. And then, you know, we move on. But the fact that Michael Riley has gone on and basically said, I don't care, essentially saying like when you when somebody says, I don't care if you think we're being deceptive to something like this, they're basically saying, I don't care. We're going to keep doing it. And I think the CFL needs to put a stop to that right now or else. Yeah, it just looks it makes the league look inept. Yeah, the league literally just signed a gambling contract. And I know some people who are maybe older fans or maybe don't understand sports betting. They're like, why do, Why should we care about this? You know, it's just a betters problem, nothing else. And I look at it, again, my business background is, say I have 10 to $20 million to give you as a company. And in exchange, you are to give me accurate information on something 
say it's finances, in one department, say it's your, I don't know, your R&D department, keeps screwing up their finances and is either under-reporting uh, losses or something like that, or they're just, they're being deceptive in some way. That's going to affect the money I'm going to give you, you know? And mm -hmm. it's the same way with gambling. If, you know, and it's not just the betting money that's coming in, it's the contracts that these agencies are offering to you. They're going to say, hey, we think we can make this much money through people gambling on the league. So this is what we're going to give you uh, to promote us. And that number just went down significantly because two weeks in a row, you've had a team put out inaccurate information on something people have bet on. And that doesn't look good on the gambling companies. That doesn't look good on the CFL. That doesn't look good on the lines. That looks good on nobody. It looks, honestly, it looks like it's Bush League. Because you want to be treated like a professional league. Other leagues don't do this. And the CFL's been doing it for years. And this year, they decided to address it. They sent a memo saying, hey, you guys need to provide accurate depth charts and information. And they introduced the injury report system, which Dave Naylor himself tweeted me. saying the only reason that is there is for extra transparency. And if you are not being transparent, you're supposed to be fined and lose draft picks. And I said it last week on the podcast, because there's Lions fans right now who are going to be mad. Um, I said last week I'll give them a pass, because Mike Riley, you know, it, it was like literally a decision at kickoff. And he was listed as questionable the entire week. It's like, okay, I believe you that time. You get a pass. I'm not happy about it, but you get a pass. You know, it doesn't look good, but okay. And then this week, Mike Riley's not practicing at all. Nathan Rourke is starting and taking all the reps with the ones. He's listed as the starter on the depth chart. Everybody, including TSN, is putting all this effort into you know, uh, advertising Nathan Rourke because he's listed as the starter. And guess what they do? They start Michael Riley. Uh, so, and then I got into it with some Lions fans on Twitter. They're like, well, they weren't being deceptive. They said in one statement that Mike Riley might play. And it's like, okay, one statement. Let's look at the context around that statement. So, Nathan Rourke is taking all the starter reps. Mike Riley isn't practicing at all. And Nathan Rourke is also listed as the starter. So, if you have... This is the, this is the w information we have to weigh is everybody in the CFL. You have one report saying Mike Riley might play. And then you have all that other information. Which do you think is true, you know, given context? Mm -hmm. And there was this one guy who was just like, oh, piece of work. He was just like, oh, yeah, they, they said he might. So why are you all mad about this? And it's like, because, like, it makes the league look bad. And I don't know about these older uh, people who 
seemingly want to run this league into the ground with some of the things they want to do. Uh, I actually want my kids to see this league eventually. So I want that 10 to 20 million those gambling companies are going to give us. Give well, me that you money, th- you know? You think, you think too, like, let's just, let's compare a bit. Let's say the Tampa Bay Bucks in week one, you know, Tom Brady's starting. And then out of nowhere, the first play you see, whoever their backup is, Blaine Gabbard, whoever come out, and he plays that game. The, that's all the that's all ESPN and SportsCenter and everything would talk about for the rest of the year, no matter what happened. You know what I mean? Like it would be the world's biggest thing, and the BC's just trying to brush it under the rug, like ah, oh, it's not a big deal. So yeah, it, yeah it's just if any like, if any other league does that, they would like it would be controversial, and us they're just like oh, don't worry about it, it's not a big deal. Yeah, like. You want to be a pro league, act like a pro league. You need to find these guys for being deceptive for two weeks in a row. And again, I let week one slide because I thought their reasoning was fine. Rick Cable's a good dude. I was willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. But two weeks in a row, okay, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. You have to find them or do something about this. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, now that we're done with that, uh, let's go on to Calgary. Uh, both through four picks, and I guess we kind of know the answer to part of this question now. Has he lost his touch, or is he injured? Well, I, I think not having the key weapons there that he's used to, like, let's say, Eric Rogers, uh, it's showing a bit more effect now. They do have the youngest team in the league, I believe. And uh, on top of that, Bo is injured, so I think everything's adding up right now, and it could be a really rough start for Calgary, which could lead to some bad things for them down the road here. Like, I'm not saying they're going to be the worst team in the league. They look better than Edmonton right now, but, uh, like, they could miss playoffs. You never know. Yeah, I think that when it comes to Bo, I think that he is trying really hard to sort of force plays. Like, he'll dig himself into a hole early. Or he won't dig himself into a hole. He'll find himself in a hole. I'm not going to put that on him. And then he'll be like, oh, I got to take a shot. I got to be like, I got to be the guy. Everybody knows me as like the Calgary Stampeders, you know? And so he's trying to be the all-star making all of the plays. And I think it's a bit of injury. I don't think he's losing his touch yet. But yeah, I think he's just trying to force it way too much, way too often. And you're really seeing it not pay off. For me, it's a combination of he was injured for part of that game and the lack of talent around him. Because, I mean, yeah, he's got Kamar Jordan, but, you know, they lost significant pieces on that offensive line. You lose Reggie Bagleton to the NFL. That defense significantly downgraded from last year. Overall, the just the team isn't as good, and we're starting to see you know, that Calgary Magic's kind of fade away because, yeah, the team isn't as good, you know, and, yeah, Bo's injury doesn't help, but you got to give him some talent to work with. And then, uh, is Michael Riley uh, of BC back? Uh, Well, I think, like, I don't think Mike's dropped off, but, I mean, he hasn't hit the end zone properly this year. Um. I I don't think he went anywhere, but I think like their BC overall is still going to have their struggles. They got a weak old line. Their defense looks better, but uh, 
Mike's still Mike's just got to keep working. And I mean, if he's injured, that's why they're throwing in Rourke. Uh, maybe he's not back then. I, yeah, it's kind of a loaded question. I don't know. He's I don't think he went anywhere, but uh, I think he still has some work ahead of him for this season because it looks like it could be pretty rough in BC. Um, I think people are. I, I hope people finally remember. Hopefully, by the end of the year, that Michael Riley was the best quarterback in the CFL. He was better than Bo Levi Mitchell. He's mm-hmm. not now, but he was, and he's showing glimpses of getting back to that status. And I don't think they're back yet. But come talk to me around week twelve, and think he will be. For me, watching that game, he almost looked at 100%, and I know we're kind of circling back to the first question here for me, because another Lions fan asked, oh, well, what could they have done better, right? And, well, for starters, you can say Rourke is getting all the refs with the ones because Michael Riley, the injury he has, he needs to rest, uh, I believe it's his elbow, and... That's what they said after the game, and yeah, it paid off. You know, his arm looked significantly better than it did in that Ryder game, and I'm sure they'll probably do it again this week, so for me, it's a wait-and-see thing. Let's see uh, what it looks like next week, but yeah, he's pretty close to being back, in my opinion. And then, hey, what do you guys put this on here, is uh, why can't BC get in the end zone. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a tough question for them. Like, yeah, Mike just hasn't been able to throw the ball in and they haven't been running it in either. It's been, I mean, like, you know, Mike Riley had the the short running touchdown, like goal line, but they're not, they're not executing like they were. Like we haven't seen a big Brian Burnham or Lamar Durant catch in the end zone or a Shaq Johnson. And we haven't seen the big breakout runs from Chris Rainey or even Butler by this point, like nothing, you know, and uh, just when we talked with James a bit last week, like, I mean, if if you watch football, you know that the red zone's the hardest point to score. So I think just with their new core and that tough old, or their weaker O-line around them, sorry, that they just, they can't do it once they get to red zone. It's tough and they're not ready. And yeah, that's that personally why I think they haven't had any luck. It's really strange to watch because it's you see a team that looks so red hot. And then as soon as they cross into that threshold, they just, they can't get it done, you know? Yeah. It's it's weird. Um, personally, I... Uh, yeah, I have no clue. Like, it's just... I don't know, because you got the extended end zone, too, so it's not like an NFL thing where it's like you got to stop relying yeah. on the deep ball, you know? Yeah, you do have 40 yards once you get to that 20-yard to score. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I think it's a psychological thing. I think there's another team that we're going to talk about later on that has a worse issue than BC because BC has a couple touchdowns in the end zone already. But for me, yeah, most of the time it's psychological because the end zones are bigger in the CFL. It's not like the NFL where they're these short little end zones and everybody's super crowded in there. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of room to make crafty plays or throw a quick hitter or something like that. But yeah, overall, uh, I think BC will figure it out because they definitely have the talent to put the ball in the end zone. Now let's jump to our next game here. Uh, Winnipeg beat the Argos in what was more of a clinic put on by Winnipeg's defense than anything. Uh, 
Winnipeg won this game 20 to 7 at home. And then we have to revisit this question that we've asked basically for three weeks. Is there a QB controversy in Toronto? Uh, it sucks. I, I think there might be a little bit after last week, but I don't think they should give up on McLeod Bethel Thompson so easy. Um, Winnipeg's defense and playing against Winnipeg in Winnipeg is tough. And then you're going up against that defense with Toronto's weaker O-line. And it, it, it clearly showed there McLeod, he could not get time in the pocket to start the game and they collapsed right there and then. And like, I think if Nick Arbuckle started that whole game, that he would have had the same result. So I hope there's not a controversy because uh, I like McLeod, but I do see them putting the whispers out now. And I'm sure we'll see Nick Arbuckle uh, in a week or two if the, if McLeod loses this week to Winnipeg in Toronto. Uh, yeah, I, it's tough because you always looked at McLeod Bethel Thompson and you'd see his stats from like games prior and you'd be like, um, this was in 2019. And it was it was weird because we all liked them for fantasy and but Toronto just couldn't put it they couldn't put it together, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to find his stats. I want to see if that's still the case, actually. I don't know how he played in this particular matchup. Well, yep. he only threw for 70 yards against Winnipeg, and yeah. the week before he threw 354 yards. Yeah, he was our so, offensive player of the week last week. And yeah. This week he yeah. was pretty quiet. Yeah. But I yeah, mean, no. I watched the I watched the start of that game, and that Toronto's line could not contain Jackson, Jeff Coton, Willie Jefferson, and Jake Thomas. Like they were, they were in there the whole time, and then they'd throw Big Hill in every once in a while, and they just could not handle it. Yeah, there yeah, is Toronto turning into the new BC, where it's a just a promising quarterback behind a bad O line. Well, let's hope not. Not with the money they paid for the rest of those guys. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think their O line is terrible. I just think Winnipeg's defensive line is that good. Where it's just well, they like, are. Yeah. Like, I think most teams are going to have trouble stopping Jackson Jeffco, Willie Jefferson, but Toronto, a lot of that line is very young, especially the tackles. And I think that's probably a part of it. When you get, like, guys who maybe have a couple years of experience in the league, and it's like, okay. Well, and it's this the isn't Chris Van you know, yeah, yeah, and you're going up against arguably two of the best defensive ends in the or like the two best defensive ends in the league. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's just something you're any team's going to have a struggle with. And then, yeah, two young tackles, you're going to really struggle with that. Yeah, but back to the question about a QB controversy. Since you're playing the same team, and Nick Arbuckle did look better than MBT when he came into the game. I could see this as being a measuring stick of, okay, let's give Arbuckle the start this game and see how he does, and if he does better, maybe you roll with him for a couple games and it's like a 1A, 1B type of thing. Mm. And then I guess that kind of, well, no, it doesn't answer this question. Who do you guys think should start next week? I'm hoping, and I'm saying they give McLeod one more week. They go, you lost to Toronto, you couldn't do anything. Let's see if you can do anything at home and your leash is as tight as it can get. This is your last chance. And then we're going to throw Nick in if you can't do anything. Um, I think that they're going to go a different way with it. I think they're going to start Nick because of what uh, because of what was said earlier. And it's just he looked better against Winnipeg and you're going up against Winnipeg. I don't now is not the time 
when you're looking at starting a season two and one versus one and two, now is not the time to still be giving people leashes. It's just you got to go with what you think is going to work better. Good point. Yep, you play to win the game. And for that reason, I think uh, Nick Arbuckle's going to start next week. And then we're going to talk about Zach Kolaros with our last question. We're going to skip the other one here. Um, so Kolaros uh, is 6-0 and as a bomber. What has been the key for his success in Winnipeg? Well, uh, from my perspective, I would say the O-line and the run game have a lot to do with it because it's not all on Coleros. Like where you look at other teams, if like, if their run game's not going, uh, they're kind of hooped. Like you saw that with BC, even uh, with Hamilton, they couldn't get their started against the riders and they folded. And the way that Winnipeg's O-line has kept Zach on his feet, like he, when he was with Saskatchewan, he was getting hit all the time, but seems like they're really protecting them back there and when they do get back zach is running all over the place to not get hit so that's my two my big factors i gotta say the winnipeg o-line has stepped up immensely in the past in the in these past few games um i think the offensive line i'm gonna just give a bit more insight into why i think that the um o-line is the right answer um but i think that they're the right answer because they spent four like three to four years with matt nichols as the main starter and i love matt nichols but he doesn't scramble like if he scrambles once in a game that's like a big thing so they were used to being like we are the only defense for this guy so they got really really good and really really tight and really efficient and now they've got a guy who they're still really efficient for but even if something slips through the cracks he can get away still and I think that, yeah, the offensive line is just the offensive line is making sure that Caleros is only sort of um, overwhelmed when he like, ah, let me restart that phrase. Excuse me. Um, I think that the offensive line is doing a really good job at making sure that Caleros isn't consistently overwhelmed. Is what mm-hmm. I wanted to say. Yeah, for me. I'm kind of with you. I think in 2019, the offensive line was the biggest factor this year. I think the year off really helped him to kind of come back right and make sure that he's physically well. Because in Saskatchewan, he looked like he was going down the path of what Drew Willie did in Winnipeg, right? Where he was extremely nervous, you know, and not playing as well as he probably could. But when he moved to Winnipeg, I think the offensive line was... Probably a bit of the difference maker, and then having that year off in between this year, it seems to have given him a bit more confidence to get out of the pocket and make a throw if he has to. Whereas I don't, he didn't do that as much in Saskatchewan. So that is where I'm at with Zach. And then let's jump into this game. Uh, Montreal went and slapped around the Elks at home, 30-13. to And you guys know my take on this, but uh, I guess we can discuss it a little bit. Is Montreal the most fun team to watch in the CFL? Take your, bom- take your bomber and rider glasses off. Are they the most fun team to watch? Yeah, I was going to say, besides not sitting in Mosaic Stadium, they are, I mean, you think of the plays like they did that 
triple handoff last year in Moncton for the touchdown flea flickered pass. And they had some pretty, like that Jake Weineke catch. Uh, so I, I think if we're, yeah, I think they could be labeled the most entertaining team in the league. Like Vernon Adam, he's a character and, you know, everyone wants them to do good. They got their new logos and stuff. So yeah, I'd, I'd say sure. Yeah. They're the most uh, entertaining in the league. Yeah, I would definitely say, like, if I could only watch, like, if I couldn't watch a Bomber game, because I'm a Bomber fan, and if it was like you could only watch one game, it can't be a Bomber game, I would just watch whichever one Montreal's playing, because they seem so willing to just try the crazy stuff, and most of the time it works, which is even cooler. Yeah, I I, I think it's unanimous. I love Montreal. I said it last year, they were probably the most fun team to watch, and Brandon Adams, he still has that it factor I was talking about on our regular season special, where he just makes plays, man, and he he lo- makes it look fun out there. And I don't know. I just I love watching Montreal play, even as a Ryder fan. It's just they are so fun to watch uh, with the stuff they do. Mm-hmm. And then, how much longer before the Elks need to press the panic button? Because this is two games that you know they probably could be one and one right now. Like they should have beat Ottawa. This game, they—I don't think they were going to win this game, but it definitely should have been closer, though. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's where it's tough because they didn't play bad, but they just they can't get in the end zone. Like Trevor Harris threw one touchdown, but James Wilder, who is you know arguably one of the best running backs in the league, he hasn't been able to get in yet this year. I know we're only two games in, but there's been the situations where he's been able to, and it just hasn't happened. So I think they should start panicking a bit, but they still have like, I think they got this week to figure it out, but if they can't get a win this week, then yeah, they, they got to smack that button and start running around and figuring out what to do. Yeah. I would, I would put a little bit more pressure on them right now than, than I think you would, but I think that, you know, you were touted as being like the, I would say everybody, at least on paper saw the Edmonton Elks and were like, that is the most improved team. Mm-hmm. Like full stop. And just seeing that and you get you get the softball lobbed to you. You get you get the Ottawa Red Blacks, a team that's trying to rebuild and you got like bits and pieces and like a pretty much a decimated receiving core bar, like one player on Ottawa and you can't get it done. And then you lose by multiple like a margin of multiple touchdowns against Montreal, which I mean, Montreal's good, but for the talent that's on Edmonton, yeah, that should be a much more competitive game. So I think that you start sort of looking at moving some pieces around. Nothing too major, but I think something's got to start changing now. I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, I just, this roster has the talent to be, you know, one of the best teams in the league, and they have just, they've looked like the worst for the last two weeks. And I know. Now our power rankings last week, we all had them ninth, and Dustin Nielsen, who does a little bit of play-by-play for TSN and does some Edmonton radio, I believe, put a little gif under our uh, power rankings saying it was interesting, and I wonder how he's feeling about that right now, Oof. you know, because, man, they Didn't look get any better. bad. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, this is the CFL. We we saw Ottawa last year, you know. Um, for me, I just yeah, it they do need to make some. 
I'm not quite make some major changes. Like I'm not calling for Trevor Harris's head, obviously, but like they they really do need to figure out okay what isn't working on this offense and try to put it together because the defense is all right. Like the defense wasn't terrible, you know, and the mm-hmm. defense has talent there. It's the offense that has all these great playmakers. Like you have Armani Edwards who can catch pretty much anything you throw his way. You have Jarrell Walker, who's probably talent-wise one of, if not the best receiver in the league. And Greg Ellingson, who is also a stud. So, you know, there's no well, reason you, this team shouldn't be stretching the field, you know? Well, mm-hmm. exactly. Even on top of that, you got Mike Jones, Tavon Smith, Shakir Ross, and you have James Wilder, who can run and catch. And you haven't got to the end zone properly. Like, you know, it just... oh. They should be, like, with this talent, they should be scoring four or five touchdowns a game. For sure. And then that brings me to our last question. What's going on with Trevor Harris? Because I don't know what what's up with him, but these last two weeks have not been his best weeks. Well, and that yeah, that's been the thing. Like, it was uh, Amondo Sewell this week talking smack to him that he just folds as soon as you get in there. And, I mean... I I was watching the same game you guys were, and I saw Trevor fold a few times. Like it was, it was adamant, and I don't know if they are, I don't know if like the the other teams are in his head or what, but something definitely seems off in Trevor Harris's world. And like he he doesn't look injured or anything like that, but he's not playing at the level he played at last year. Like I think what was it by the third or fourth week he had that game with seven touchdowns or six touchdowns. Like he's. Mm-hmm. He's he, yeah, he's he's played a lot better at this point. So I am a bit worried about him, but I wouldn't be thinking of pulling him or anything right now. Oh, of course not. I wouldn't I wouldn't pull. Like, yeah, no. But that being said, I believe Trevor Harris was an elite level quarterback and now he looks like a quarterback. Which take from oh. that statement what you will, you know? Yeah, I like that. Um huh. And I think that he's like, yeah, I think he can get back to it. I think, again, it's it's too early to really be like, oh, you've fallen off or you've fallen off. But I just, right now, again, don't really hit the panic button, but like something's got to change. Whether like whether he needs to change up where his receivers are lining up or just like something. I don't know if he's got full confidence in his line. Like, I don't know. For me, a lot of it just seems to be the offense has played a lot more conservative than in years past. Like, even in the auto game, it looked like they were just trying to nickel and dime their way down the field, and it just wasn't working. And with Montreal, it's a bit more of the same, you know? And with the receiving talent here, you know, you really shouldn't be doing that. You should be stretching the field out with guys like Walker and Ellingson and Edwards, you know? Shouldn't be sending them on five yard rinky-dink routes, and then getting second in medium, and then, oh, play's broken up, second and out. You know, you should be trying to stretch the field to, you know, get ball moving, and they're just, they're not doing that, and I don't fault Trevor Harris for that. I think that's on play calling of Jamie Elizondo, and my only criticism of Trevor Harris has always been that he's been, uh, he's sometimes been streaky. Like, when he's on, he's the top three quarterback in the league. And then when he's not on his game, like Carter said, he's just a quarterback. So, it's, for me, 
it's pro a lot of it's play calling right now, and uh, I'm curious to see if they make any adjustments this week. And then let's jump into our final game. Hamilton got absolutely schlacked by the Riders at Mosaic, thirty to eight. So let's talk about the probably the big thing. I don't want to say the most interesting thing from this game. Uh, the fight where Santos Knox in 4K shoves an official to the ground, and the discipline issues are not just on Hamilton's side. Uh, the Riders took a lot of penalties that game. So, what did you guys think of that game? Yeah, that's as a fan that was at the game. It's tough for me to be unbiased about it because I watched those three off on the goal line and I swear we weren't off on any like I didn't see it you guys can tell me different if you saw it on TV but from where where I was sitting and they showed the replay it didn't look like anyone was offside they just kept giving Hamilton chances so I think there were 22 penalties something like that that the Riders got in that game or maybe that was the total but very undisciplined football um, like with just talking about that fight with Santos Knox like we had a player get kicked out. They had a player or two get kicked out. It was, and like, even different parts of the game, I, like, we saw rider defensive backs throwing punches at Hamilton players right in their helmets, and other uh, Saskatchewan defensive backs running to the Hamilton sideline to chirp their receivers as soon as they get on the field. So I, I, I do think that the riders have some discipline issues right now that they need to address because it can't be something going on uh, for the rest of the season, but it has been something that's happened before and we've addressed it. So I think we'll be okay with it. Um, the first thing I want to say is that I don't, I wouldn't call Santos Knox. I wouldn't call that a shove. Because like at the end oh, of the day, oh, it was a hundred percent a shove. I was, watched it. He, was looking, he said he didn't know. He was running into the fight, and he literally extends his arm to push the official away. Uh, like maybe like, he wasn't paying attention, thought it was a player, but he like, shoves was, an official. Because like I mean, let's be real. You're looking at one guy. You're watching your friend. Three dudes just going at him, right? Yeah. What, what looks to be four. So you're just kind of like, I gotta help. You know, that sets off alarms in your brain, especially if you're a football player. Um, but discipline issues for the riders. The thing that I want to say on that is the referees are going to be so, so, so tough on goal line stands just because you've got that giant white line. Like, yeah, if you're even uh, like if you're barely over that line, it's so easy to tell. Yeah. And it can be so minute, but you gotta you gotta play it right. And like the thing is, I've I've always thought about it where it's like you know in terms of like rule bending. And in a in recent years, I've sort of figured out my stance on it. And it's like no, you should follow the rules to a T. You're a professional. You get played to you get paid to play the game. So discipline issues. I think the riders riders will get past it, but I don't see them getting like i don't see them beating a crazy amount of teams if that like it was a miracle that hamilton wasn't taking advantage is what i'm trying mm -hmm. to say yeah hey, um, before just before you step on because you guys were kind of arguing about this i just yeah. want to i was skimming twitter 
David Sanchez thinks, uh, he said, Santos Knox didn't even see the ref, and the ref actually ran into him, uh, like Dwayne Ford said on the on the broadcast. But then there's other pl- players saying, uh, or other fans saying, he was trying to get at Jake Hardy from the Riders after he tore off William's helmet and took a swing at him. Hardy didn't realize he bumped the official. Or sorry, San- Santos Knox didn't realize he bumped the official. Other people are saying he had to do it no matter what. Other people are calling it bull crap. Yeah, so it's it's actually been a good com- a good topic of conversation this week. It looks like. Yeah, for me, I don't think he knew it was an official because even in the footage, he doesn't look at the guy and then push him. Like he he's running towards it, and there's a guy in his way, so he kind of shoves him out of the way. And I mean, a big dude like that in football gear versus like. A guy with no equipment who isn't as strong shove oh, from him is going to put you on the ground. That's, you know? that's, what, that's what I was saying. I was like, it can be a mistake all you want, but at the end of the day, it's a referee. The referee is not signing up to be physically moved around by people. So, oh, yep. I mean, there was that dude who punched a ref and didn't get in any <laughs> trouble for it. Uh, I can't remember who it was. It was a DB on Ottawa. That was a little bit nuts. But Santos, Knox, he's probably going to get a fine because... I don't think it was intentional either. It happened, but you know, it is what the league it is. likes finding people. Yeah. And then for discipline issues for the riders, that goal line play, I watched, I went back and watched all four of them. Third one, they were a hundred percent all on side. Like there, there was maybe one guy whose pinky might've been like a centimeter over the line, you know? And they called it. That's why on the fourth one, you just saw them line up like they did when Hamilton got in the end zone because yeah, they they at that point they literally just said "eff it" because the third time when they fumbled, they were all onside. Like go, but if you don't believe me, the game is on YouTube. Go back to the third goal line stand and watch it. And you know it's not. The camera isn't a hundred percent lined up with a goal line, so it's a, at a little bit of an angle. But you can see, like, there's one dude's hand, and maybe his finger is over. Like, it's pretty bad. But uh, even without that, there were like the helmet thing taking it. You don't take a dude's helmet off, man. Like seriously, nope. come on. You know, like you you just don't do that. And then there was another questionable call. I felt like uh. On a return, uh, one of the riders guys blew up uh, the Hamilton returner and probably wasn't very smart because he injured himself, but it was a legit football hit. And they called him on ru- unnecessary roughness, and it was like, it hit him in the head. He didn't horse collar him. He didn't face mask him. He just hit him hard. You know, and it was just like, what are you doing? Because literally the game before, we see Montreal blocking people and blowing them up on a lot more questionable uh, blocks, but they were legit blocks. But to me, that hit was perfectly legit, and they called it rough, unnecessary roughness. What did you guys think of that one? Uh, I, I kind of remember that one a bit, and I, I didn't see it a whole bunch, but it, it I mean, it, it's going to depend on what re- officiating crew you get to, because some of the guys are going to call it differently, and I think that's the prime example of what you're saying is that in the Montreal game, they kind of allowed that stuff, but with our crew, they didn't. And that's that, I think that's what it could come down to. Yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't get a good look at that play. 
Like I, that wasn't really a talking point for me or something that made me really want to go back. So maybe that's the thing where I sort of saw it and maybe it didn't bat an eye at me that it was flagged. But yeah, who knows? For me, it was like it was a big hit. Like he blew the returner up, which is like, damn. Like you, when a guy gets hit like that, you think it's a penalty, but it's like you go back and look at the replay, just like nope, there's nothing dirty about it. Just hit him hard and. Yeah, I didn't really get why that was a penalty, uh, but it is what it is. And then, does this game ease your worries about the Riders' offense? Because last game before this, the offense played in the first half and then kind of quit. So, does this game kind of ease your concerns a little bit? Yes, and I got. I just had one. They played four quarters. Like they didn't just score in the first and second quarter. They scored in the third and the fourth. So that helped uh, with confidence. Sorry, as well. Um, the fact when Shaq Evans went down just before the second or like the the second quarter ended, uh, it didn't it didn't eliminate our passing game. Like Tyran still got a touchdown after that. Lenny has had some catches. Picton and Williams Lambert had catches. So um, the fact that I think like you know our best receiver got taken out of the game. And we were still able to put points on the board and run and everything. Yeah, I'm I'm not worried. Our offense looks good, and uh, it looks like they're ready for the next guy up. And the next guy up is ready too. So I am at ease. Um, I am like ninety percent at ease when it comes to the Riders' offense. The only thing that's nagging at me is the consistency. And I mean, this game they were completely consistent. However, week one, it's only been two games and. When you have, when you play eight quarters and six of them, you're non-existent. That's scary. But if you're going off this game alone, I'd say nothing to worry about. I would say that I am still mostly, like, if I was a Ryder fan, I'd be pretty happy with where it's at. But I just need to see maybe a couple more games of just complete football before I say that I am for sure sold on this offense. Yeah, for me... I'm pretty satisfied. Again, if it happens where they pack up early in the next game, I'm, those concerns are going to come back. But to me, this game, it, they look good. You know, they it didn't look like they packed it up early. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm happy with it. Now let's go to our final question. What's wrong with Hamilton? Because a lot of people were talking about, oh, this team's going to be like, 12 wins the best and yeah the best in the league and they got smoked the last they gotta two weeks. start winning they gotta start winning if they're gonna get 12 they gotta start right now yeah they gotta <laughs> be undefeated the rest of the year but but dane evanson <laughs> yeah maybe yeah what's been wrong with hamilton well uh, for me i think it comes down to turnovers and uh not having a run game because they had the two interceptions. Oh, sorry. And I guess it comes down to maybe their like Hamilton's front seven on offense because they have no run game and their quarterback was sacked six times and there were two forced fumbles and that was all in one game. So their line's not blocking. They can't establish a run. So then our line is just getting in there, going after Mazzoli. He's scrambling all day and uh, Sean Thomas Erlington could not move the ball back there. He only had 20 yards rushing. And yeah, just with all the interceptions and the fumbles, that's that's what I think it comes down to. They just they can't they can't give Jeremiah Mazzoli the pocket, so he's got to scramble, and then they can't develop a run game. So it's just all downhill from there once that's once that fails. Yeah, it looks like 
Um, it looks like Hamilton was a team that needed everything to be really good and everything was really good last or both well, in 2019. And now we're seeing what happens when everything sort of starts to fall apart. And I mean, yeah, if everything <laughs> starts to fall apart for any team, it's going to, you know, it's going to be rough. But like an average of seven points per game, Hamilton. Like, I get that you're playing Saskatchewan and Winnipeg, but like, you're supposed to be the you're supposed to be the favorites, like the heavy favorites to win the cup. What like what happened? Yeah, um, yeah, just ridiculous. I I don't know with Hamilton, man. They're a bit of an enigma. Uh, for me, it's just it's a bit of quarterbacking. They're missing some key receivers in Braylon Addison and Devere Posey. Uh, they can't establish the run, but. At the same time, they lost a lot of key players on that offensive line. Like, uh, Riker Matthews is gone, they lost Mike Filer, you know, so... They're hurting in those departments, and... I really don't know how you fix that. You can't bring Filer out of retirement, he's probably done. You know, you could probably... I don't think Don Jackson's the solution. Maybe you bring in Malik Irons and see uh, what he can do, but... For me, there is no easy solution. Like, this team should be winning games. They have the coaching staff. Like, we know the coaches they have are good. The roster is constructed well. They just haven't put everything together. And it sucks for them to go into a bye week right now. But at the same time, it's a good thing. Because they can go look at film and see what they're doing wrong and build off of that, you know? Well, I I was just going to say, like, like, just being at the game, I kept a... I mean, we talked about it kind of behind the scenes all week that we got to watch out for Brandon Marsh or Brandon Banks and Nick Marshall because Brandon Banks is going to run all over Nick Marshall. And that didn't happen. Like, Banks was held to 30 yards. But you could see on the field how upset Brandon Banks was that they weren't moving the ball. He was flailing his arms and screaming and yelling like every time they had a bad play. It just, yeah, it seems like something's really not clicking there. And Maybe it's, yeah, they're missing those couple guys on offense, and that, that could be it. But, yeah, just something is not right there. And, they're like, they they should be hitting the panic button. Sure. So let's jump into our power rankings. Uh, no shock, uh, Winnipeg, Sask, Montreal are top three. Uh, if you don't know why, go watch last week. Uh, I have BC in fourth. Uh, I think they showed out well against Calgary and... Uh, even Saskatchewan in their loss, they came back and played a good game in that second half. So, the fourth in my rankings, I got Toronto in fifth because they looked good week one, but they looked bad this week. Hamilton, they've looked bad both weeks, but they're a good roster, so they're not quite in my bottom three. Ottawa, number seven. That offense, we were ranking offenses, is by a, a distant ninth in the league. But that defense could be like a top four defense. So they're seventh. Calgary. Calgary, Calgary, man. How the mighty have fallen. They are in eighth. Edmonton. I really shouldn't have to explain why they, they, they're in the basement. They were ninth last week. They solidified their spot in the basement this week. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we're pretty much all in agreement. I got, yeah, Winnipeg in first and Toronto and, or sorry, Winnipeg, Sask, and Montreal up front for the top three. 
Toronto, BC, Ottawa for the middle. Uh, I just think Ottawa or Toronto, I think they're heading in the right direction. They just got to get there. And Ottawa got to put some respect on their name. They're only, are they one and oh, but uh, there's, there's worse teams out there so far. It seems like, like Calgary and Edmonton and Hamilton. That's my bottom three is uh, Hamilton seven, Calgary eighth and Edmonton ninth. I just, something's going on in Edmonton. It's not working. And like in Calgary, Bo's hurt. I know you got Michael O'Connor as a backup, but they got to be a bit worried there. And yeah, Hamilton, like it just, it does not seem like it is going well for these, what was thought to be the top three teams in the league, basically that they are at the bottom right now. Yeah. Just not looking good for them. First, I am going with Winnipeg. I feel like um, actually, well, first Winnipeg, second Sask, you could make a case for Sask to be first and I would buy it. However, I just feel like, Coming off of a win that wasn't necessarily close against Toronto, you can't justify them going down any spots, you know? Yeah. It's the only reason why I have Winnipeg 1 and Sask 2, because I really think that it's like an inch between them. Um, Montreal in third. Um, I've got Toronto in fourth. Um, their offense played terribly, but I think their defense, um, their defense was surprisingly decent, and I think they're not getting a lot of credit for that. Um, BC I've got after that. Then I've got Ottawa because I cannot justify having a one and O team ahead of O and two teams. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, and this is directed at the CFL, whoever made the power rankings. Ottawa's beaten Edmonton, so how is Edmonton stronger than Ottawa? Yeah, the, they did Ottawa dirty in the power rankings. Whoever made those, like that's ridiculous. Like. Um, but then my bottom three in order is Hamilton, then Calgary, then in the basement, Edmonton, because of course they are. They need to prove that they're not. For sure. Yeah, I would just oh, I yeah, want to just say something on a point that Carter said there. That just at the start where you mentioned like you could make the case for Saskatchewan being first. And that's funny enough. So when I was doing my power rankings last night, I I tried to put Saskatchewan first. And I mean that's a bit biased in me, but then I went and looked at both games, and the the way that Winnipeg's defense has been working, I, I couldn't justify putting Saskatchewan in front of them. Like, we let up 29 points against BC. You guys have only let up, what, seven and eight points in these games? Uh, six and eight. Seven. Yeah, yeah, six and eight. So, like, yeah, there was, like, I tr- I, like, as a Ryder fan, I tried to put them in front, but I could not justify putting Saskatchewan in front of Winnipeg just because of that fact. Yeah, it was seven, by the way, six and seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's jump into CFL Fantasy here. We'll do our best positional offense, or position options, sorry. Uh, then our value picks and locks. So for quarterback, I have VA at 10585 Michael Riley at $9,622. MPT and Nick Arbuckle, whoever starts, obviously, at... $8,950 and $8,168, respectively. And then I've got Michael O'Connor on here at $5,000 with the asterisks that make sure he's confirmed to play. What do you guys think? Yeah, no, I, I think it's good. The only one I would just say, uh, if you want to go all out with your money, spend it on Cody because he should have a good week this week but I mean $11,000 almost $12,000 that's almost Brandon Banks level and that's where you don't spend so yeah I could see why you didn't put him on there but that's a if you want to spend some money that's where you should spend it 
I have, um, whenever it comes to quarterbacks or any player in fantasy, if it's over 10,000, I don't touch them. It's not worth to put a quarter of it onto one player. So out of these right now, I'd probably put, I don't even know. I, I'd hope Michael, like I'd, I'd probably put O'Connor. I'd hope if he's playing. Um, cause I like value quarterbacks. I think that, you know, a quarterback's always going to have a solid performance, but yeah, I don't think there's anybody to add. For sure. For me. Yeah. O'Connor, it sounds like Bo is going to be out this week for sure. And he might be out a couple weeks after it's a wait and see thing, but Calgary hasn't officially confirmed it. So just be careful with that one. And then let's jump to running backs. Uh, first, we have Andrew Harris slash Brady Oliveira. I'm not sure who's going to be playing this week at $10,113 and $4,500, respectively. Then we got William Powell at $8,475. William Stanback at $7,225. And James Wilder Jr. at $6,765. Er, $6, any other you know, running backs? I would add one actually, and uh, just going back to back, I think John White could have a good game. He had 17 fantasy points against Winnipeg last week, so I don't see why he couldn't do the exact same at home, like not on the road. So I'd say he he could be an okay pick for you at what is he uh, eight thousand fifteen dollars? Um, yeah, I think a good a good running back right now is I think that's going to be the uh, kryptonite for the Bombers' defensive line, at least right now. Um, you get a really good running back, hopefully turn that into some good um, play-action-style things. So he could have another good game. I think that that's definitely a, a good shout. My only concern with John White is he's super streaky. Like, the week before, he didn't even crack 10 fantasy points, and then he popped off for 20 this week. So for me, it's... a. Uh... I don't know. I think Stanback's just the better play. So, and he's like almost a thousand dollars less. So for me, it's just I don't. Know, I don't like to spend too big unless a guy is proven. He's a week to week like ten to fifteen point player. So that's where I'm kind of <laughs> at with John White. And then let's jump into receivers now. You got Kyron Moore, who is eight. 1,382. Eugene Lewis at 7,421. Darrell Walker at 7,231. Lucky Whitehead at 7,120. EJ Cunningham at 6,242. Kenny Lawler at 6,228. And Nick Dembski at $5,861. What do you guys think? Okay. I got I have I have one addition. All right. It's gonna be uh Jake Weineke of Montreal for fifty two sixty nine. Mm, yep, he's in my lineup. Yeah, not like I I don't want to put him okay, he had a good game last week, so he's gonna blow up this week, but he was good for them last year. There's no reason why he couldn't have another good game. And uh sorry, they're they're up against Calgary who doesn't have the strongest backfield there. So I think I think Jake Weineke could be a good pick this week. Yep, I agree. For me, um, the 
Oh wait, go oh, ahead, Carter. I was just gonna say that I've also got BJ Cunningham in my lineup, and that's it. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I I love BJ Cunningham fantasy because he is probably the best floor of the guys who aren't ten thousand dollars in the league because mm-hmm. he always will get you ten points no matter what. He's gonna be ten points or above. He's always a great player to have in the lineup. For me, I shy away from Weineke because he's very touchdown dependent. And I don't need guys who are touchdown dependent. I need guys who can get yards, but also score. So that's why Kenny Lawler is in my lineup right now. And so is BJ Cunningham because Hmm. Lawler gets yards. He doesn't need the touchdowns. And then Cunningham doesn't either. He just flat out just gets a lot of receptions. And then let's jump into our defense slash special teams here. Oddly enough, we actually have two options this week. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders defense for 5450 in Winnipeg for $4,469. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can go wrong with those. Saskatchewan plays Ottawa this week in Saskatchewan, so... Uh, that should be another good game for the Saskatchewan defense and Winnipeg with that front seven and, uh, you know, those DBs they got back there now. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, I think they'd be a safe bet for this week, too, if you're taking a defense. Yeah, I think if you're taking a defense, you go Winnipeg over Sask just for the only reason that you're saving $1,000 on it and you're probably getting the exact same quality. Mm-hmm. Maybe. The only thing is just like one's going up against Ottawa. And then the other is going up against the Toronto team that they just saw That's last fair. week. That's fair. Strength of opponents. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So it's like you played against them already. So I know they had a great game last week, but Toronto is probably going to change a lot uh, before this next game. So for me, it's like, okay, let, let's roll with the Riders. But if you can't afford the Riders, definitely can't go wrong with Winnipeg. Winnipeg's been great this year. And then let's jump into our value picks. So I got Ryan Davis of Ottawa, 2,500. He was the leading receiver for Ottawa, not last week, but the week before. So he's a good option there. We got Shy Ross, who's getting better and better on the Elks at 2,500. Braden Lenius, who's doing all right for the Riders at 2,500. And my personal guy here who's in my lineup is Daniel Braverman. At $2,500. Yeah, I, I think you got some good picks there. I got I'm just kind of playing with my lineup, too. And yeah, Brain, Brain Lenius is in there for a good cheap pick. So uh, yeah, I don't think you can really go wrong there. Yeah, no, I think Braden Lenius, so that, that's the name that jumps out at me from, uh, from this lineup. Because to, really, to be able to really make your mark in like with a team like Saskatchewan right now, you know, like one of the strongest teams in the league, if not the strongest team. Like that's yeah, and to still only be at twenty five hundred bucks—that's an absolute steal. Fair enough. I tend to go with Braverman just because his numbers have been better, and he's also kind of doing some returns. Do also get a little bit more points there, so I think that's nice. Some people might be inclined to take Mario Alford because he absolutely torched Edmonton's special teams last week, and. I tend to stay away from return specialists because their yards aren't worth as much as a receiver. So if I'm you, stay away from that. And 
Yeah, I would probably go with, if it's me, my top three in no particular order would be Davis, Ross, and then Braverman. Uh, Lenius, he's been alright, but I think those guys have just been better. And then let's jump into our locks here. For me, my uh, lock is going to be Kenny Lawler this week. Like I said, I have a preference for guys who can get yards and touchdowns, and it his price of around $6,000. You definitely can't go wrong there. Oh, fair enough. I have uh, William Stanback for my lock this week. Uh, I think coming out of the gates with 112 yards, no touchdown, but I think that's going to come this week against, uh, sorry, yeah, against Calgary. So, yeah, I just think Stanback's a good safe pick, uh, safe pick to have this week. I think he'll get you some good points. Yeah, I've I've got BJ Cunningham in mind. Uh talked about it before, 6242. Um he got me 20 points last week and I personally believe that he will be close to replicating that again. Honestly, I love BJ Cunningham. He was going to be my lock this week, but I saw you had it. So I had to I had to get there quick yeah. cuz I figured somebody was going to take it. You stole my pick, but that's totally okay. So, let's jump into our pickem. I am currently four and four. I had a horrible week the week before. I was one and three. I was three and one last week, so I'm happy with that. So I have BC beating the Elks, uh, Montreal beating Calgary, Winnipeg beating Toronto, and Saskatchewan beating the Red Blacks. Yeah, we well we agree for the most part. Well, I guess we're half and half here. I got Edmonton beating BC, uh, Montreal winning. Uh, Toronto beating Winnipeg and Saskatchewan beating Ottawa. Um, right now I've got BC beating Edmonton. Uh, I think we're all riding the Montreal side of things. I'm going Winnipeg and I'm going Sask. So that means that uh, Jimmy, we got the same teams. Let's go. Hell yeah, man! All right, you're seven and one, so I'm definitely. Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm, I'm doing I'm... the right thing by sticking as long, sticking with as, your long as I don't take as long as I don't take the fattest L this week. I'll still be doing decent. <laughs> Yep. And then uh, let's get to our game time cues for next week. Uh, for Edmonton versus BC, have the Elks been found out? Like we talked about what Sewell said about Harris. Has Edmonton been found out? Uh, I don't think so. I think they're still finding themselves, and that's the big key is I know they had a cut, like they have, like, you know, Trevor Harris is still there, but they got a new running back, they got a new receiving core. And their defense is a bit different, so I I think they're just taking time to gel, and they don't have time to spare. So like this week is the everyone's gelled, and now we need to now we need to push the ball forward. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with like it's just it blows my mind because I don't think the Elks have been found out. I just think they need to be able to put the cherry on top of drives. Like that's really it. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. The offense needs to find themselves. That defense is alright. It could be better, but it, it's pretty good. The offense is the big issue, and I think those guys will eventually find a scheme that works for them, but it's going to take some time. And then let's go to Montreal versus Calgary. I guess we already answered this question, but does Montreal kind of smoke both Alberta teams, or is this a close one in your mind? I don't think they're going to smoke Calgary, but I think they're going to come out with the win. Uh, so yeah, I, I think Montreal comes out with the win. Yeah, um, 
First of all, I don't know if you meant to do this pun, but Montreal smoke, like Montreal smoked meat, that's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, um, hell yeah. Um, but I will say um, I, I was feeling the exact same way. I think they get the win, but I don't, I wouldn't consider it like them. I don't think they're going to smoke them. I don't think they're going to fry them or any other way of cooking food um, <laughs> from my Call of Duty crap talking days. But yeah, no, I think that uh, I think Montreal gets the win, but I don't think it's uh, going to be a blowout. I think Montreal wins by about 10. So it's not quite as bad as the Elks, but it's yeah. going to be. It's not it, a game where you'd look like it was close. Yeah. But it's not like a blowout. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're not going to blow them out, but it's not going to come down to like the three minute warning, you know? Yeah. So that's where, that's where I'm at with this game. So let's jump to Winnipeg versus Toronto. Uh, does this end up being a close game with the Argos at home this time? Uh, I think so. Well, I think Toronto wins somehow, but uh, yeah, I think it's going to, like, I don't think it's going to be a blow by any means. It'll be, I think both teams score uh, high teens, low 20s, and yeah, it'll be like a, a touchdown or a field goal. Oh, yeah, I think this is definitely the. Um... I think it's definitely a close game. Like I, it's tough because I don't want to go against my boys, but like, I feel like the I feel like the Argos could steal it. I feel like if there was a game this week where an upset happened, it would probably be this game. Um, because like I mean, I guess maybe you'd say Edmonton, BC, but I don't know if there's really a favorite versus non-favorite there. Yeah. But, but yeah, like if there was like a definite underdog that could win, it would be Toronto in this game. For sure. And then our last game of the week, Ottawa versus Saskatchewan. Is this a classic example of a trap game? You know, it's funny. I was reading that before you asked it and I was like, nah, this isn't a trap game. But then my brain's like, no, that's <laughs> what a trap game means. And you're yep. about to get trapped. So I'm really hoping not, but everything's telling me that it could be now. <laughs> This is, um, I think this is the perfect example of a trap game. Does that mean that Saskatchewan's going to lose? No, but I think that you've got a, like, you've got a quarterback who knows how to beat Saskatchewan and you've got a head coach who also does. So if you start sleeping on that, they will make you pay because they've, they've been able to win in mosaic before. So it's uh, it's definitely one that you want to make sure that you're going into it prepared. And if they are prepared, it should be a blowout. But if they're not, then this could definitely surprise a lot of people. For sure. For me, it depends which riders we see. If we see the riders of week one who kind of packed up early and left, then, yeah, this is a trap game. But if it's week two, they absolutely murdered Hamilton, but they're a bit more disciplined this time, they might pitch a shutout. So... For me, it I depends that which far. Saskatchewan we see. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I slow would... down. Slow down. Maybe they get a rouge, but like... <laughs> okay, okay. I think that's even more pathetic. I, and now I, you're making it a trap game, though. I, you're like, making it a no, trap game. No, I'm saying which team do we see. If we see the week one riders, this is a trap game. But if it's like... <laughs> if like they win, it's they all down win. to prep, I guess, right? <laughs> like, if they, if they take this game seriously in the preparation... They're going to blow out a while of the water, but if they slack off like it looked like they did against BC, then, yeah, this is a trap game. So it's all down to how they prep, and the coach is making sure that the players are focused and taking it seriously this week. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just scared that they might leave the door open too early for Ottawa and they won't be able to get their foot back on the gas in time. Yeah, that's what I'm concerned about too. Like, I think Saskatchewan, the thing I'm worried about is if Saskatchewan gets off to an early lead and they're like, okay, this game is over, guys. Let's go home. You know, select your game check. Whereas, yeah, the other team gets paid too. You got, you always got to remember that. So mm-hmm. don't, don't let up on these guys, you know? And mm-hmm. then let's jump into our COVID activities. Uh, I'm still watching Lucifer. I'm on season three now, so nice. I can't I can't say any new shows have really come in that I'm interested in. So I'm gonna go with the game I'm playing right now. Is uh, I got back into GTA Online. Uh, there was a new new content update that's been really fun in that game. So I've been playing that a bunch. Hmm. Might have to check that out then. Um, for me, uh, I got uh, I have my wisdom teeth coming out tomorrow, so I've just kind of been prepping for that, drinking pineapple juice, and uh, I mean, besides that, just working, uh, selling plumbing stuff, and just really diving back into the CFL and just getting really absorbed into it, and just yeah, really happy that we're back. So I'm just yeah, really taking it all in. No, that's fair. I mean, I've been the same with radio. And like you get you go to the on air stuff and it's tough because it's actually been eating into my CFL time um, because I my work week right now is Saturday through Wednesday. So um, like I wasn't able to go watch the um, I wasn't able to watch the um, Toronto game, like the Winnipeg versus Toronto game, uh, or at least not live. Um, Luckily, I'll be able to catch the next home game, which is against Calgary. I'll be able to be for that one. Um, But. Uh, besides that, GTA Online as well. We haven't played together yet. I think we're going to after the recording, but um, no, uh, haven't gotten the chance to play it too much, but it's definitely been my go-to ever since that update. No doubt. For me, yeah, I'm down to play after this, but I think that wraps up the show. Thank you very much for listening. You can find us on... or not, No, that's the where you listen. Sorry. Socials are... Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TrueNorthCFPod. Then you can also listen to us on YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. I have been your host, Jimmy Leach. This is the True North CFL Podcast signing off.